Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Drift Proof Podcast. I know it's been a while. I got um, a lot of stuff going on in my life right now. I was on one of those electric scooters in Detroit. This was on October 15th and I wiped out, woke up in the hospital, had my face reconstructed and it was a whole thing. And I kind of just had to take a month and a half, two months to think about what I was doing in my life. Um, in the meantime, I started a TikTok talking about mental health, life coaching, stuff like that. And then decided that I wasn't going to, you know, kill myself doing the podcast every single week and forcing episodes when I would rather just have people come on naturally and organically. Um, so that's what I'm doing. So welcome back. And this episode is 14. So today I talked to uh, Sam Pindur. Sam is currently working in an inpatient psych hospital setting and earning her master's degree on the side in counseling. Um, so today we're just going to talk about... You guessed it. As normal, we're talking about um, the inpatient psych hospitals and psychology in general and mental health care in the United States. Um, I know we've kind of beat this topic to death, but everyone that I have on has a different perspective. And I think it's important to see a bunch of different perspectives on on the same issue because you never know who's going to say something that's going to click with you. And we also do talk about different stuff with every person. Um, so we also just kind of throw in some mental health resources for today that Sam knows. I go over some life coaching stuff. That's kind of the direction that I am taking my future as of right now. Um, it focuses way more on the positive, encouraging side of psychology and mental health than the clinical side. And I'm really feeling that lately. Um, and then we're going to talk about tyrannical workplaces. And we're going to talk about tyranny and how corruption happens in bureaucracies. And that's a great topic. So mostly today, though, we're going to be talking about the mental health care field and healthcare in general in the U.S. and how bad it is, because um, we need to start having these conversations if anything's going to change. But this is a great conversation. Sam is very, very awesome to talk to. She's very well educated in this field, and we're going to go with it. So with no further ado, thank you for your listening and welcome to the Drift Proof Podcast, episode 14. All right, so we're going to start off by saying a little bit about you, Sam. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you for coming. Yes, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. So my name is Samantha. As you said, I am currently in my second year of my master's program for clinical mental health counseling at uh, Central Michigan University. Oh, you're in Central? Yes. I yeah. know that. Um, they have a Saginaw cohort, so it is fairly close to my house. Um, the program is very flexible. For working people, you meet once a month type thing, and then you work on things throughout the week. And how long is that program? It is about four years. So it's like half time. Yeah. Okay. It is part time. It's eight week classes. And yeah. Why did you decide to go? Let's we'll, we'll backtrack. But why mental health in general? Like, why did you get into this field? Oh, that's a long story. So <laughs> it really started with family members having mental health issues. I grew up in a household with somebody diagnosed um, borderline personality disorder. Okay. And I had no idea what that was. No. Can you explain that to people? Because I tried to explain this the other day to one of my friends. It's it's hard to explain. Borderline personality disorder is so, it can be so personal um, to each person. Mm -hmm. The person with BPD often, um, I guess... It's hard, isn't it? It's so hard. <laughs> you know, I lived with it for almost 30 years with a family member, and it's so hard to explain. But one thing to remember about it, their actions and how they treat you, it could flip on a dime. Mm -hmm. So it's not really like bipolar, whereas you have weeks of highs and lows. Um, this person, they constantly think they 
are being threatened or being judged. And so they retaliate or they think you're going to leave them. So they push you away and like pick fights to see if you'll stay type thing. So growing up with that when I was younger really affected my mental health. Um, yeah, I bet. Definitely times I didn't know if I was doing the right thing or if I was doing the wrong thing. There was a lot of gaslighting. And so my mental health really got really declined. And so that's really what started my journey is okay. into trying to understand um, what was going on. And so by me understanding the personality disorder, I was able to not internalize what this person was saying or doing to me. Mm -hmm. And I just really, my confidence grew. Okay. And then really fast, to jump back, you said gaslighting. A lot of people don't know what that is either. I had to look it up about a month ago because I kept hearing it. Is it when you say something, you do something, and then you act like the other person's done it and that they're guilty? Is that correct? Yeah, that could be it. Or, you know, they say something like, oh, you're just crazy. You're being sensitive. You're f Try to invalidate your feelings okay. pretty much. Cool. Not um, cool, but. Yeah, not cool. <laughs> so that was another big thing that led me um, to mental health is I dated a covert narcissist for about four years. And so that even pushed me further to get into mental health. Okay. What are some of the things that they would do to you or that <sighs> they did in general that were unhealthy? A lot of gaslighting. Okay. A lot, a lot of gaslighting, making me question my reality, mm -hmm. getting a history of me like you do in a normal relationship. And then they would use my history to try to uh, push me down, tear me down, make mm -hmm. me feel... Like I was less than. Yeah, that's actually interesting. So a lot of people wonder why a lot of CEOs and stuff become, quote unquote, become narcissists. But it's actually that they are already narcissists and they pretty much eliminate other people from the, the business until they move up. A lot. Yeah. So that happens and kind of that's how corruption happens in corporations and stuff. So it's interesting that. And with the covert narcissism, it was more passive aggressive. So it was so nonchalant, like you just had to question is this my reality? And so that was another moment in my life. My mental health had really declined. I and bet. So again, I just did a bunch of research, uh, try to understand it. And that helped me validate where I was coming from and also helped me gain confidence to be uh, who I am. So how do you advice for anyone who thinks you might be in a relationship with a narcissist or have a family member that's at, what is advice to them how to deal with that and not make it feel like they're doing something wrong or you got to have the confidence um, wherever you can get it. So me knowing myself and my values um, and becoming more confident, I was able to stand my ground Okay. when I was being pushed to question things or pushed to be like, oh, you're the bad person or you're the crazy person. Um, I think it's also really important to remember in those types of relationships Reactive abuse is a thing. So if you have someone abusing you constantly um, and you're reacting to it, that's like your protection. So I was doing things in this relationship that was not me breaking glasses or, you know, throwing things. Okay, well, and I, I, have, I couldn't see you do that. <laughs> I have never been a physically violent person at all. And so that was another big thing. I really had to forgive myself as in the healing process. So that's why I think it's just so important to know yourself, know your values. So when you're questioned and confronted by it, um, you can, you don't have to react yeah. to that abuse. Yeah. And awareness too is huge. Anything yes. in psychology, awareness is number one. 
Yes. Um, so be aware. Of, you can't be aware of somebody else if you're not aware of yourself first. So, you know, notice how you're feeling. Take a deep breath. You know, before you react, respond appropriately with, you know, the, the proper actions. Yeah. It took a lot of work, but I'm sure. I got there. <laughs> So um, after you decided to get in psychology, I guess, with your history, um, you started working at an inpatient psych hospital with me, correct? Is this yes. the first psych? This isn't the first psych job you've had, though, no? Yes, this is the first psych oh, right. job I've had. So I worked at a bank previously. Did a Oh, I remember. You were a teller. It was, yeah. Okay. It was a... Uh, Crushing my soul working at a bank. <laughs> I had that experience too in, in car sales. <laughs> yes. So, you know, I wanted to be in a field where I was able to help people. Um, I thought this would be good to experience for my degree. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I absolutely love working in patient psych with the patients. Yep. And then, so I know most of you guys have listened to episodes. Hopefully we have some new people, but inpatient is where you get pretty much, it's it's mostly involuntary. You can go in, voluntarily to an inpatient facility where you're going to be housed in the hospital, but it's very rare that that happens. I think I've seen it four or five times out of the thousand patients I've seen uh, coming to the hospital. Um, and then you're stuck until the doctor releases you. That's the legal standing, at least in Michigan. I think all of the states work pretty similar with that. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not people who want to be there. It's not the low-hanging fruit, people who seek out mental health care most of the time. It's usually somebody in a crisis that needs help and they don't they're not cognizant that they might need help. Yes. Yeah. Um, so it's not really a place that you get a lot of people working um, just out of nowhere. You know, everybody works there on purpose. And if they don't, they typically work midnights and try to just get in and get out without talking to patients. Yes. Um, not the midnight staff is bad, but that's, that's usually how it is. So what is your experience? Like, how do you feel about the whole mental health care system? Cause I've done a lot about a lot of talking about it and the things that are bad and things that are kind of good. And yeah. what do you think? So it's hard because I think there is a place and time for crisis intervention and mm -hmm. inpatient and petitioning people. Unfortunately, from what I've witnessed and seen at the hospital, that's not what is often happening. Yep. Could you explain petitioning to people who might not know? Yeah. So when you are petitioned to go inpatient, you usually wind up in an emergency department first. Mm -hmm. At a medical hospital. At a medical yeah. hospital. And they determine you'll see a psychiatrist or a social worker there, or it could be a police officer or even a spouse who petitions you. Mm -hmm. And pretty much they are just saying you are a harm to yourself or others. And you need to be put in inpatient where you are watched 24-7. Yep. So just to kind of point out, there's two different documents. There's one that's called a petition and the one that's called a, cert, a certification. So the petition anyone can file is my understanding. Mm -hmm. Like I could file one for Sam right now. Yes. Um, and then to actually get admitted, you have to get certified by like somebody with a license. So okay. So there's that one barrier in between, um, but it still gets abused wildly. I mean, the people that do the certifications usually see you for less than five minutes. And like, how do you know someone has a mental, you know, even if you're depressed yeah. and, and people have wound up in the psych hospital because they've said things like, I want to kill myself. This pain is so bad. And somebody that hears it takes it the wrong way. And then you're admitted and certified. So, yeah. So I think a huge issue with that is it's being abused for profit. Okay. I believe you. Because what, what happened to Britney Spears? Yeah. Right. <laughs> really though. And all her money went missing <laughs> magically. So with that abuse, uh, just to gain profit off of a patient, Obviously, you are doing more harm than good for that patient's life. Mm -hmm. And it could truly affect them in the future and down the road. And but because the hospital wants to make that money and fill their bed, especially a for profit organization mm -hmm. like we had worked for or I had previously worked for that they will take anyone. Yeah. And, and that really is true. So we're not a medical hospital. The psych hospitals are not even the nurses there. The most care I've seen them give in terms of like emergency care is CPR. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they're not doing surgery or anything that, that intrusive on the body. So 
we've had a lot of patients come in that are in wheelchairs that are really not well and they are not in good shape and they shouldn't be there. And it usually ends with them getting sent out to the medical hospital anyway. So that's frustrating to see that happen. And then you're right. It does sometimes do more damage than good when somebody, especially like an 18 year old, you know, they're still a kid Mm -hmm. and they say something stupid and then they end up inpatient for depression and it's totally traumatizing to be stuck in a place you don't want to be with you know, our unit's not particularly, we work on the adult woman's unit and it's not particularly like a good environment most of the time. You know, I think inpatient should definitely be used as a last resort and that's not currently Mm -hmm. happening. And then you get these younger kids, especially who don't know the process maybe. And then they're like, well, I'm going to go to court and fight it. Chances are you are going to lose in court. Yep. And then that's going to be on your record and that can affect you know, further employment or further, if you want to own a gun, things like if that. If you get pulled over by the police yes. for speeding, you know, when you have, you're inpatient in a psych hospital, I know it sucks, but they're going to have a stigma attached to it. Mm-hmm. Like maybe 40 years on the road, they won't, but I have a friend that's a cop and he said he got very, very basic mental health training. Um, and that was it. And he's like, we pretty much do, you know, it's, it's our discretion if we're going to take someone in for something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which isn't good. You know, you have to die to diagnose a mental health disorder you have to what at least have six years of school and most of the time a doctorate instead and depending on state yes and what's unfortunate is even when they get to the inpatient point the doctors only see them for five minutes if that yep put them on life-changing drugs yep and go from there so i have a question for you i have one of my coworkers. she had a mom with schizophrenia and she sincerely believes that even if you're just exposed to those drugs for a very short amount of time it's going to alter your brain permanently um, do you think that's true? And it's just speculation here because we're not psychiatrists. Yeah, but I haven't heard anything, but I could imagine for some people it could. Okay. I could, you know, everyone's brain works differently, so I wouldn't deny it or say it would happen to everybody. Okay. And we don't mean to totally trash the inpatient system. Like Sam just got a job at another inpatient facility that's going to be nonprofit. So yeah. there are good ones. And the one we work at isn't terrible, but it just... It is being abused and it needs to be talked about in, in the ways it's being abused. Yeah, it's not just the for just the hospital that we had worked at. I think you have to look at the bigger picture, the whole system in mm-hmm. general. It's a system issue that needs to be fixed. And the only way to fix it is starting from the bottom of the totem pole and working your way up. Yep. And unfortunately, what was happening at the hospital is they weren't listening to the staff who had most of FaceTime with the patients. Yep. So we kind of talked about stats before this. So how many, how much percent do the nurses spend with patients at a psych hospital per day? Okay. okay so I really don't want to trash talk nurses. And that's, that's not what we're doing. Yeah. I think they have a wonderful place in the team treatment mm-hmm. care at a psychiatric hospital. Um, However, I think they have too much power in the psychiatric system when, you know, I spoke with my friend who was a nurse. She did four rotations at a psych unit, which is four eight hour days. That's it. Literally four days at a psych unit. Yes. Okay. I thought a rotation was a couple of weeks. No, no, it was four eight hour days. Okay. And then she had one semester on mental health. Okay. So that was what she had to go through for the nursing program. And obviously they dealt with meds more. So on average, a nurse spends about 15 point, I believe it was 15.6% of their day um, actually gaining a rapport with patients. And that's great. That's wonderful. But for them to have more say than a technician 
or a doctor even sometimes in their treatment because mm-hmm. the doctors are just listening to the nurses because they're not the there. Yeah, yeah, the doctors get five minutes with the patient a day maybe and yeah, they're so, going to listen to the nurse. Over so the, the doctors have even less time. And then even when we were doing telehealth, they weren't even getting a visual on the patients often. The doctors wouldn't? Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't know that. I thought oh, they was yeah. aimed at them. So the telehealth is just like a webcam for patients. Yeah, <laughs> sometimes they would be chasing the patient around with like an iPad to talk to the doctor. Mm-hmm. But they didn't always get a visual, and that caused a lot of issues in medication and treatment. I'm sure. So, yeah, the nurses, again, I've actually thought about becoming a psych nurse, but I don't want to do the medication mm-hmm. personally. I know it's important, but it's not where my heart wants yeah. to go. But they do have a lot to say. So the text, too, just interesting. You can become a psych nurse with uh, an associate's degree. That's all you need is yes. a two-year degree. And then a lot of the texts that are working at least have a bachelor's in psychology. You know, I'm not saying that our education makes us superior or anything, but we are more educated in the field of psych than most than all the nurses, I guess, if we have a bachelor's. I think what really needs to change for inpatient psych is, no, education does not matter, but it needs to be a team effort. Yeah, I agree. The doctors need to be there and play their role. The nurses need to be there and play their role. And then the technicians need to have their role. Um, You know, I had looked into it before I decided to leave the for-profit hospital. I had looked into what it would take to get every tech peer uh, certified or crisis intervention certified. Mm -hmm. And it is a little bit of a course, but honestly, in the long run, helping those, it would give so much benefit to the patients. But of course, they won't do that because they are a for-profit hospital who they don't want to... It seems to me anyway, they don't want to reinvest into that hospital. They want to make their money, get people in, get people out or keep them as long as insurance will pay Mm -hmm. and then move on. Not realizing that we see these patients every day and we are playing a huge role in affecting the future, their future trajectory. Yeah. And especially their impression of mental health care. I've had a lot of patients who flat out told me if they're never, ever going to seek help again because of their experience. And I don't, I I don't blame them. Um, or they were going to lie about symptoms or downplay yeah. symptoms. And the, but the system encourages it. Yes. If they're honest, they're going to stay longer and get pretty subpar treatment. So why even do it? It's more. It's doing more damage than good at a certain point. Exactly. And you know, like I said, every I have heard good stories too. Sure. It has really helped. We wouldn't work in it. There's jobs if there was no good stories. Exactly. So you know, it does have its time and place. But unfortunately, right now with the way our system is set up. I just feel it's doing more harm than good for a lot of patients. Mm-hmm. So let's talk out of inpatient, um, just because we've done so much on this podcast, but yes. it's very important. And yes. people don't know about that entire world of mental health care and people get trapped in the system for their whole lives and nobody knows about it. So it's important. Yes. But um, you are going into school for counseling. Is it mental health counseling? Uh, clinical mental health. Cool. So that's what I was looking at doing a master's if I was going to continue my education. What is that? Like, wh- why would you pick that out of anything? I'm going to be really honest with you. So I have a lot of people in my life had said, oh, you would make a great counselor. Okay. The pandemic happened. I had just finished my undergrad with um, community development and a minor in psychology. Okay. I got an email from CMU saying we are waiving the GRE. Cool. I had to take that yes. for no reason. I'm not even like using it, but <laughs> yeah, I, I don't do tests. I'm not a good tester. It was God awful. So they were waiving the GRE. It was very last minute and I decided to apply and I got in. Cool. 
and here I am. No, that's the best though. So it's like any of those got, I'm going to go off on the life coaching thing, but when you're on that high and you have that minute and you're inspired, take advantage of it because mm-hmm. life doesn't throw you too many op- like bones in directions very often. So yeah. And it benefited me greatly. I very much enjoy the program. I enjoy what I'm learning. I feel like it goes more in depth on the theories of counseling That's compared cool. to like social work or other programs. Um, so getting into the theories of counseling has been very interesting. Yeah. So I was looking at social work too. I've been look. I've looked at every corner I could look at mental health to find what would, what would be the best fit and social work. Um, the risk management guy at our hospital told me best about it. He's actually a teacher at one of the universities. He said, okay. if you want to get an education, go for counseling. If you want to get a better job afterward, go for social work, but you're going to need a crap education. Yeah. <laughs> um, no offense, social workers, but he said that the education for counseling is more applicable to social workers jobs, which is ironic to me. Yeah. So I think cause the social work program, it is a little bit more shortened and they go through things faster, mm-hmm. but they are more employable because they have dipped their toes in a little bit of each section. Yeah. So nothing against social workers, but if you want to do counseling or you want to get a really psychological education, I wouldn't necessarily recommend social work, but the counseling. Yeah. And you could always go for certifications after and do Mm -hmm. more education after getting a master's in social work. Yeah. It's a good field. And there's stigmas that you can't make money and you're going to, it's abused position, but those are true. Only if you make it true. Like in any, in any field you can do just fine if you're willing and able and you're good. I think what we really need to focus on in any field is making bigger waves and making changes in the system. Mm -hmm. And I think getting a degree in anything like that, psychology, psychiatry, social work, counseling, it puts us in a better position to speak up and try to make these changes that we desperately need in mental health. Yeah. Yeah. It's a broken system. (laughs) I just, it's frustrating. I've, I've thought about jumping out of that like I want to do coaching now and mm-hmm. life coaching and stuff. Cause it just fits more. I don't like the insurance companies and the pharmaceuticals and they run the entire system right now. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't know. It's a hard decision you make. Do you join the system to then restructure it or do you just go a whole different path? I don't know. I, I think it's just going to depend on the individual. Mm-hmm. I don't think any way is wrong. I don't think any way is right. Oh, it's that's just fair. what you feel comfortable and what you want to do. And if you want to impact more one-on-one, such as life coaching, I feel like you would definitely impact more on the individual level. I think counseling too is though. No? Yeah. Well, depending on what field you go in, because I could work at an inpatient or outpatient doing what the social workers do Okay, with a counseling So you get a caseload of patients that you're pretty much helping. Okay. So like when you first start off counseling, I think a lot of people start off in case management and then slowly get into the one-on-one counseling. Okay. That's what a lot of the social workers do. Yeah. Um, So that's a good option. And then you, so with a, just for anyone who's thinking about the field, if you get a six-year degree, so a master's in counseling, what are your job options after that? Then you said caseworker to one-on-one counseling. Can you do your own or is it yeah. limited license? Um, so you would be limited licensed at, I think it's for a year or so. Oh, so it's not permanent? No, it's not permanent. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so uh, you'll go through the program, you'll get your LLPC, um, and then you can get your full LPC and you can have your own you know, office, Cool. And work one on one. So that's can, licensed professional counselor, right? Yeah. So you'd be limited licensed professional counselor for the first year or two. Yes. And that's Michigan. It's a little bit different on the other states. Yeah. But pretty much the same idea. And you can still diagnose people. You can do assessments, um, things like that. You can diagnose. Yeah. yeah. Oh, cool. So I was looking at all these things and there's like 
different states have different regulations and blah, yeah. blah, blah. And I wasn't sure about Michigan. Um, can you, so then can you take a patient if you did like a webcam call from Indiana and do that, for instance, or from a different state? No, you can't do that. So even um, telehealth, mm-hmm. you can only service the people in the state that you are licensed in. Okay. So if I'm only licensed in Michigan, I can't talk to someone on the phone in Florida. That I get that legally, but it's so funny to think about conceptually. Yes. That your counseling would be not I allowed. I agree. Um, that's funny. I mean, we could go into the school system and how that's broken as well. No, but we won't go there. No, <laughs> no. But the most important thing to know is that if you need accreditation for what you want to do, then you got to go to school. So yes. suck it up and play their game. But yes. if you don't and you think you can find a bypass, do it up. I know that's why I like Jordan Peterson so much. You know Jordan Peterson? Mm-hmm. I just bought tickets to meet him. I'm doing the meet and greet oh, for his nice. show. I'm so excited. Um, but he is trying to restructure the education system and offer alternatives. But the only thing is the accreditation right now. So yeah, that's a huge problem. And obviously counseling, you do have to, well, so CMU right now where I go, they are not accredited, um, but they are working on the process. So after this year, they will be in an accredited um, school. Were you grandfather into that accreditation? Yes, I would be. Yeah. So you do have to keep an eye out for different schools because they may have a counseling program but they may not be, and I don't know the full term for it, but it's KCREP accreditation. Okay. I don't know. If like, you go on the APA website. Yeah, it should be on there. Yeah. Um, so that is a factor that you may want to think about if you are going into this field in an, an accredited versus non-accredited university. Yeah. I'm thinking, what other advice for people? Because I, I just started looking into like master's program my last year of my undergrad, and I kind of shot myself in the foot doing that. So um, I think what's really important to know is the school system, they are also working for you. So I switched multiple colleges in my undergrad because I didn't really fit in with certain universities. When I found CMU, it was that perfect fit. Send um, her money, CMU. Send her money. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they, they do have a really good online program um, that also offers face-to-face, I will admit. Um, so, you know, I was able to finish my degree, whereas other schools, I wasn't able to stay focused and finish my degree there. Okay. So what are your ultimate goals with your counseling then? Are you excited to have your own practice one-on-one? And like, what kind of stuff do you think you're going to specialize in and help people with? So I think where I'm at right now, and this changes all the time. Sure. I think I want to get into like legislation and changing some of the laws and mental health. Um, So I think having the background in counseling would be, was, was a good starter for that. And then I would need to possibly get into some law. Would you like run for office at all? Mm, I don't think so. I think I like being more in the background. I wouldn't want it. I wouldn't want it to be that full time position. (laughs) All right. Do you have any ideas of what legislation you'd like to see change? Not the involuntary. We've done enough involuntary stuff though. That's pretty much, (laughs) that's where I want to focus, I guess. But also just making it more accessible for everybody. You know, I think it was a year or two ago, there was a huge protest at the Capitol because the state of Michigan wanted to take away LPC's um, insurance rights. So what's the point of the degree then? Exactly. So the uh, counselors wouldn't be able to charge the patient's insurance. Then you're practically a life coach at that point. Yeah, to be pretty honest. much. <laughs> so there was a huge protest at the Capitol and they ended up winning. So they got to keep um, that aspect of counseling, which is amazing. I think, especially in Michigan with how mm-hmm. rural some areas are, 
I think it's important to have as much access as possible. Yeah. And that's so just the system though, because everything right now, this is the reason I don't want to get into becoming LPCs because I don't want to work charging insurance companies. Mm -hmm. I fundamentally disagree with how that system is built. And with physical health, there's no workaround. Like you need to buy the medication you need that there's no price negotiation. Like you have to spend whatever it's going to be. But with mental health, I think you can offer services. I'm trying to figure out how to do it, but the, you know, internet exists. You can offer services or one-on-one at a reasonable price without ever touching insurance. Yeah. I still clearly want to be accredited and know what I'm talking about and be not a liability to the patients, you know. There are many um, counselors who have their own practice who don't deal with insurance. There are. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. They just charge like a flat rate or out of pocket. Um, some people do like a sliding scale. The sliding dep- scales I've heard of. Yeah. Depending on, you know, the financial capabilities of that particular patient. Okay. So there is a lot of options out there. Okay. But at the same time, you know, as counselors, we have to make sure we're able to take care of ourselves For and sure. live off of our wage. Yeah. And I think that's what happens to people in this field is they get into the field. They spend as much time as somebody else. You know, if you spent six years at a finance degree, you'd be financially set your whole life. I get it's not as meaningful and everything, but they spend all that time in education and then they get treated like dirt and they don't make enough to support themselves and you get bitter, resentful, and then you eventually just flip and start playing the system by its rules and making money. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what happens to the psychiatrists, to be honest with you. Oh yeah, a lot definitely. Of we had one doctor that was amazing and she was on our mixed female and male unit. She worked there for like four months. Great. I mean, just a great doctor. She was actually from the area. So the culture, there was no cultural barrier like there is mm-hmm. with most of the doctors. Um, and she ended up leaving because they threw way too many patients at her. Yeah. And I can't imagine that that's going to go on forever. I feel like at a certain point, she's either going to have to open her own practice and take the risk or just start playing by the rules of the game. Yeah. So I think that's where a lot of people are stuck um, in this field is making sure they're taken care of and their family's taken care of yeah. with a paycheck, but also abiding by rules that they don't necessarily agree with. Mm-hmm. Which you have to, you know, that's culture. You've got to yeah. abide by rules that you don't agree with. I think that people go into this field with just so much heart and so much care for other people that they are constantly going against what they truly believe to keep a paycheck. And I think that's what's causing a lot of burnout in I'm sure. mental health. I'm sure, especially with um, the workers. Yeah. And nurses and everything. I mean, the psych nurses, a lot of their job is giving out medication and listening to the doctor's orders. And I don't think that every single nurse agrees with every single medication they're handing out at every single no. day. So it's a cognitive dissonance and that does wear on your psyche day after day. And, you know, having to say they really didn't believe in something, they're going to have to argue with that doctor Mm -hmm. who is seen as almighty. Yeah. (laughs) Higher up in the hierarchy. Yeah. And that's where I think it needs to go back into that whole team treatment. Yeah. Where we're all on a level playing field and we're all working together for this patient. Yeah. It's just hard because it's not the, the system isn't set up for that. Correct. You know, if you can, the fastest you can get a medication prescribed to a patient, the better, because that's where the money's coming from. Exactly. So that's unfortunate. But with that said, I'm never going to talk badly about all psych meds. I think they're necessary for certain people at certain Mm -hmm. times. And some people absolutely need them to have a somewhat normal life. Yeah. So I have an interesting story about that. Um, I think it was like five or six years ago, I was in a car accident. I was rear-ended by an F-350. That's a big truck. Yeah. And I was in a little Monte Carlo. Oh, that was my first car. Yeah. Two-door? Yep. <laughs> 2004 Super Sport. It was an SS? Yeah. Girl, I'm so jealous. I wanted one so bad. I had a Super Dallas. So, um, yeah, after that car accident, I had a really bad bout of vertigo. Okay. 
Um, so it just constantly, I woke up, I felt like I was drunk. I had not been drinking. I was like, okay, maybe I just need to more sleep or something. And so it was just constantly for a week. I couldn't drive. I couldn't go to work. I just constantly felt like I was drunk. And so the vertigo had went away after about a week, but I was still constantly dizzy. Like I'd be scrolling through my phone and it would look like it was still moving even okay. when I stopped scrolling. After I got my concussion, the world was like that for a week yeah. or two. Or like I'd be looking at you and you'd be like shaking back and forth a little bit. So before that, um, I was also on an SSRI for seasonal depression. Okay, so that's I, a, will you explain to them what that is? Just in case so, anyone doesn't know? Yeah, so it's just an antidepressant pretty mm-hmm. much. I was on Zoloft um, to help with the seasonal depression. I'd start it in... I don't know, October, November, end it in March. Well, after my bout of vertigo, I had went to get on my Zoloft and I noticed all of my dizziness had went away. So I think there are benefits as well, even for depression, like I'm not dizzy anymore and I feel like I have a normal life again. So I think there's meds that are beneficial for things even outside the spectrum of mental health. Mm-hmm. So. No, I agree. And just like any any medication, it's a tool from society. Use it. But it's a powerful tool, you yes. know, and it can be used irresponsibly. It can be prescribed irresponsibly. So that's what I see people a lot of the time is they're, they're relying on certain medications or they'll go in and they want Ativan, which is a benzo and it's like an anti-anxiety. Mm-hmm. And that's something that you shouldn't be using unless, again, it's the absolute last chance you need it that second. So I had a really great psychiatrist. I was seeing a general practitioner, but I was very wary, uh, scared of antidepressants because I've heard a lot of bad things about them. I don't think people typically want to get on the medication. Right. This is true as well. So I found a great psychiatrist. She had given me a bunch of natural options, um, which I had tried at first. And then finally we decided together that I would uh, try the Zoloft Okay. and going to an outpatient psychiatrist with this particular psychiatrist who was so open to natural remedies and working through it with me, felt like she actually cared about my symptoms and what I was having and what was happening on the medication. Um, just finding that safe space and being responsible with it, I think is a huge that's Huge deal. That's what psychology and psychiatry should be. Yeah, the- it really should. It shouldn't be traumatizing people and forcing them to take things they don't want to do. Mm-hmm. You know, you meet people where they're at at that point. They're ready to go, and then yeah. that's the only way you get better in psychology. Unless you're going to force medication, is voluntary, courageously pushing forward and trying to to get better. Exactly. And I am. I was lucky enough to be in that position where I could go on my own. And you shouldn't. See. You shouldn't say that. You shouldn't have to say that. I was lucky enough. You know. I yeah. But But unfortunately, where we're at in mental health, you know, mental health is a fairly new science. Mm -hmm. It is. And we are learning things every day and new coping mechanisms and new skills. And it's just a matter of getting the word out and getting people to know about it. It is. And I think one of the best ways to I think someone said this on the podcast before. I was in a group the other day and there was a mom that was crying during the group. She broke out in tears because she didn't want to tell her daughter that she was in an inpatient psych hospital because of the stigma. And said, if you don't tell her, that's why the stigma exists. You have to go home and be candid and honest at whatever level she's at. Don't tell a four year old mommy's psychotic, you know, but mommy's taking care of her mental health. That's all I have to say. She needed a couple of days to do that. And that's how we break the stigmas and actually make the changes that need to be made. But you got to talk about stuff. And I think it's a, I think it's appropriate that you tried other things before jumping immediately to an antidepressant. With that said, if you're extremely depressed and you're suicidal and you're going to kill yourself, take the antidepressant. But if you're not well, 
you know, you took proactive steps to try to get there before jumping on. And that's something you can discuss with the doctor, the psychiatrist, and the psychiatrist will then determine, okay, this is more of an immediate situation. Mm -hmm. Here you go. And that's how it should work with the psychiatrist. Yes. Yep. Inpatient psych is not what you see on the movies. It's not a bunch of people in straight jackets. It's your normal everyday person who may have had just one bad thing happen that caused them to go into crisis, such as... I, you know, I was talking with a patient. She found out she was adopted after 27 years and just had a breakdown. And it was a safe place for her to get stable and the help she needed. Yeah. So I agree entirely. Everyone thinks it's like, I I think we're guilty for this too, because we go outside of our job and we tell these stories of what happened. Yes. But that's the climax. Like, don't we all go to our jobs and tell the stories of like, if I work in a movie theater, someone threw popcorn at me today. I don't know. It's like silly, but no one's telling the boring stuff that goes on 99% of the time. It's all normal people that we get occasionally very, very sick individuals, but that's like the 1%. And then the system is, that's a perfect place for them to be at that point. Exactly. (laughs) Because that's where they need to be. But um, no, everyone's so normal. Like we get a lot of depressed patients that are just totally cognizant and Mm -hmm. I don't know. There's like, I'd be friends with a lot of them if it was professionally. Oh, yeah. I would be friends with a lot of them outside of work. And I think that's why they really need to start utilizing outpatient program and day hospital yes. more because that's going to benefit them more. And then they can go back home and still see their families and have that support. Unless you're like the 1% who's very, very sick, like you mentioned. Yeah. And that's the thing too. Watch your signs, people. Like you don't know if you're going to end up in an inpatient. A lot of, actually every patient I've ever talked to has no idea why they're there (laughs) for the first day. So watch the signs. Like if you're about to go to the hospital or you're so stressed out that you're like, you know, having panic attacks normally, those are signs you need to get mental health help before Mm. you get involuntarily admitted to an inpatient facility because... After that happens, you're going to be traumatized and probably not want to go back most of the time. And that's why I think doing these podcasts and other, you know, resources for people to hear, like this is a great jumping off point. You provide so many resources before getting to the point where you need to be inpatient. Yep. You know, go to counseling. Okay, well, how am I going to pay for it? You know, we you can post free counselors and free therapy. There are resources out there. And I think... It's just a matter of getting the word out. Yeah, honestly. So if you guys need counseling, because this is a hurdle I had to jump over, even being in, in the mental health field to go get counseling, literally call your insurance company and ask them if they offer counseling. It's that easy. If mm-hmm. they say yes, they'll give you a whole bunch of providers in the area. That's what they do for you. If you don't want to use those, Google some, call and see if they accept your insurance. It's pretty easy. And if you don't want to do insurance, call somebody on a sliding scale and see what they offer. Like, you, yeah. you can get help. A lot of colleges as well, like I know yes. CMU, they offer free, um, not for for everyone, not just for students. I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. So there's a website out there. I can definitely send it to you after. Um, just things like that. There's so many free options where you don't have to go through insurance as well. Living in Flint, people don't have the money for, right. or even insurance often right. to get the help. That or even if needed. they did, it's usually $50 deductible with each session. Exactly. So you know, getting out to those areas, uh, poverty stricken. Yeah. Lower income, lower. How do you want to say it? Lower socioeconomic <laughs> neighborhoods. So social worky of you. Um, so <laughs> yeah, you know, getting the resources out to them is very important where that's affordable. Um, you know, I know Genesee County has rides to wellness and they will, yes, they will drive you to your doctor's appointments, but they can also drive you to, 
mental health doctors as well. And as much as it gets a bad rap, telehealth has opened up such, it's broken down yeah. such a barrier for people. Yes. You know, you can look online and ask, call your insurance. Can I have anyone with telehealth that charges this much? And they'll try to work with you. And, yeah. and if you don't like insurance like me, you can try to figure it out. <laughs> but yeah. Even, you know, again, working with the lower socioeconomic status, uh, people have gone to the library and did their telehealth meeting with, if they don't have access to internet. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's, there are a lot of options. It's just how far you want to go to get that. And and that's a big part too, is why we need to break down the stigma because people don't want to get, they, they're their biggest barrier. If you want to get help, you're going to get it. But mm -hmm. if you have a stigma about mental health and you don't want to be labeled and you don't want to talk to someone because you don't think you have issues, then you're your own worst enemy at that point. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what we see in involuntary a lot. And that's why it's so freaking frustrating because they try to force people with medication to be at a level they're not at yet. Mm -hmm. And it's hard. Um, so try to be your own advocate. You know, mm -hmm. this is where the life coach in me gets involved. Yes. yes. <laughs> I get pushy because it's frustrating. Like we have problems and we know we're stressed out and we know there's 15 things in our life that we're not happy about and that aren't going well. And we don't want to go get help because we're too hard headed and proud. And then we end up at a psych hospital where you have no option to be proud anymore. Yep. <laughs> and it's a hard awakening to when you could have just done it in and more of an adult way. I think that's one really important thing to know when you're going into counseling like, yes, you are going to try to meet people where they're at and help them through. But most importantly, give them the resources so they are able to advocate for themselves. Because that's where the long-term progress is going to end up. Giving them that power to say, hey, I need this. Yep. And this is how I'm going to get it. Yep. Mental health is a muscle. It's like your body. You, you have to do it yourself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, unless you want to get forced medication, which I would not recommend that route unless you're very, very ill. Yes. <laughs> like, yes. If you're listening to this, you're probably not that ill. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> How do we want to start? So me and Sam took a break and we were just talking about our jobs and things that we... Uh, trying not to compromise on things that we believe to be right in a job and where the line between compromise and doing yourself a disservice are. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So... Um, as I said before, I previously worked at a bank mm -hmm. and I had been promoted multiple times throughout the bank. I worked there for about five years and we ended up merging with another bank and I still work there. And we had this manager who was an awful person. She would call out people in front of everybody, condescend, very condescending to them, um, make a big scene when people made a mistake and everybody knew like she had made multiple employees cry. And so when I had another promotion, I had moved out of that particular branch that she had worked at. So I, but I would still talk to my old coworkers from that branch yeah. and I would hear stories and I had a good friend call me crying she said this, she did this and was so mean and just made me feel so stupid. And small. And small. Yeah. So I decided to go to HR and it was an awful experience. Really? Um, I truly believe after this experience, HR is there to protect the company. Plain and simple. I think sometimes they try to fix things, but they are mainly there to protect the company. Well, who pays them? Yeah, exactly. So um, we ended up having a phone call discussion and he said, well, who said this and who said that? And I didn't want to give any names because everyone's really afraid of this particular manager. She's been there a very long time. She has a lot of say. 
And so after I had talked to HR, he was very polite about it the first time, very professional. Okay, I'll talk to her. We'll do some training. Well, come to find out, he had told her what was said about her. So then she had went through her employees' work phones trying to find out who told HR. That's so toxic. Like she went on a complete witch hunt. And so my friends, because I was very close with these people, they were relaying all of this back to me. And they had came to me the next day saying, she knows it was you who told. Oh, God. And I was like, how does she know? Well, HR had told her what I had told. And he, so he was very toxic as well. Yeah, that's not professional HR and people. I, you know, after she went on her witch hunt, I felt embarrassed. I felt scared. I didn't know what she was going to do next. I didn't know what she was going to say to try to get me in trouble because she was that type of person. Yeah. Well, she was willing to go through phones and listen instead of just confront. Yeah. In a more, I don't know, mature way. Or fix the issues that, because oh, she would say racist stuff all the time. Oh, okay. All the time, too. And so I had mentioned that as well. Just very inappropriate things. And so I had never been more proud than when I sent an email to the CEO of this bank saying that I am appalled that this was my ending experience and that I'm happy to burn this bridge because that's not a company that values their employees. And at the end of the day, you know, we're all just trying to get through this life together. Mm -hmm. Why do we have to be mean to people Why we do it? Yeah. And so I think it's just really important to advocate for the little people and stand up. Yeah, I agree. And it's funny how there's, I've seen a lot of places like that where there's very toxic people in quote unquote leadership that aren't leaders. And they're being protected. Yeah. Is that, what? I, I don't know if it's the narcissist thing, they move up and then they make, you know, people are scared of them or I don't know. But there's a lot, we were talking to you about bureaucracy and like there's certain rules that it's very, very hard. And even Jordan Peterson, I really like how he, he words this. He says, it's very difficult to find the line between standing up for yourself and submitting to an authority that you should respect as being part of an organization or a group. You know, it's a fine line between that. So what do you do when you have like a toxic boss? You know, is it just you? Do you have to investigate yourself first? Awareness. So self-awareness always comes first. Maybe it is you. Talk to your friends, your coworkers, see if you're being ridiculous or if you're being childish. Um, and then if, you know, if you find out that it actually is the boss then you have to approach it very carefully. Yes. Um, I think a lot of people don't want to tell their boss to F off after five years and stuff. And that's not the way that you actually make changes and do things appropriately. Like you have to go to them with a very well thought out statement and try to give them your side as openly and honestly as you can. while still trying to respect how they feel. And if that still doesn't work, then I guess it's time to leave. Yeah. And that's what had happened. She had been talked to previously, mm -hmm. you know, we coworkers had stood up for themselves and it just kept escalating. And yeah, it's just very interesting. And another reason why I also left the hospital is because I was put in a leadership position. And even in the, when they talked to me in the back room, like, okay, but you, I know you may not like these policies, but you have to push them. That's that's Can you do that. That was <laughs> a question in the interview. Can you do that? And I was like, at the time, there wasn't any policies. I was very like, oh, no. But then they kept putting policies down, and I'm like, I can't respectfully do this. Mm -hmm. 
that's the line I draw to. If, if someone's not sure if something at work is corrupt or not, or if it's just them being a hard head and being arrogant, not wanting to follow a rule they don't particularly agree with because they don't understand it. Like even the managers told me, we don't like these rules. We can't see why they're in place. We don't agree with them, but mm -hmm. someone from above and bureaucracy said that we need to follow them. And if we're going to stay open, then we need to follow them. Yeah. That is corruption. Um, if I could have tried to find any kind of way that it would have made sense for safety or security or whatever, or whatever policy, you know, anything that was logical, I, I wouldn't be so against it, but there's certain rules put in place that I don't know. I can't figure out why certain rules are put in place. Well, and one thing they had kept telling me is this, it's like this at every hospital. It's like this at every hospital. And I just believe them like, okay, you're telling me this. Well, when I interviewed at my next hospital, I'm going to be working at these rules are not in play. There's no state law for them. There's it, it's simply corporate and corruption. Yeah. And that is what the authoritarian governments will tell their uh, constituents as well. This is like this everywhere. What do yeah. you mean? This isn't fair. That's gaslighting. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> cool. I've used that term correctly. Yes, definitely. <laughs> so we were talking about there's a book called Ordinary Men. I don't know if I brought it up before, but uh, Jordan Peterson recommends it. You guys know I'm a huge Jordan Peterson fan, but it's literally about a police battalion uh, 101 in Germany that were just normal police officers and the Nazis kind of grabbed a hold of the police battalion when they were running out of troops. And they told them they have to start kind of playing the role of soldier. So they would take these little steps and things they didn't particularly agree with. Um, you know, pretty benign things. These people have to be moved from their homes to, I guess it's not benign, but they have to be moved. They're prisoners. So, mm -hmm. you know, safely get them to their camp. Um, and then it ended with them shooting people in the back of the head that were unarmed, you know, civilians. So it's just, there's a fine line between doing things to, to be a part of a group and respecting the culture and doing things that are going to break your soul up. So I kind of mentioned like Voldemort when he breaks his soul in one piece and makes a Hawcrux at that point, you might as well just keep breaking it because it's broken. There's no repairing your soul after you do that. So that's what happens to ourselves. You know, we do things that are cognitive dissonance and we don't agree with them. And then the next thing, you know, you're following an authoritarian government with no thought about it being wrong. And yeah, your actions follow your belief, your beliefs follow your actions. So how you act is what you're going to believe. And then you wonder, you know, at the end of the day, why am I so stressed out? Why am I so unhappy? Well, every day you go to work and it's not something you believe in. You're giving your soul away a little bit at a time. Yep. And that's the beauty of karma in the world is people think that there are people who just have no consciousness and can't do, you know, do terrible things and they don't care. But I genuinely feel that everyone does have that karma of your conscience on your on your mind. Even if you don't show it, act, you know, outwardly, I think it does happen inwardly. And you've heard about the Zimbardo experiment. Uh, is that the, I'm thinking Stanford prison. Yep. 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 So there's a book called the Lucifer effect and it kind of goes into a little bit deeper of, I think of the thought process of the fake police officers and the fake prisoners. So let's do this really fast. Stanford prison experiment. They had a bunch of college students pretty much act police officer and then act prisoner and they had them role play is those roles for like two weeks and it eventually turned really dark within like five days I think it yeah. was supposed to last two weeks so it just kind of depicted the role of how fast humans can become warped into yeah. monsters depending on the, the role the responsibility the power they're given yeah and in the Lucifer effect there's journal entries from them and like explaining their thought process so kind of like the book you recommended Ordinary Men kind of goes along that line yeah of how quickly things can go bad if you allow them and that's what um the mythology teaches that that's why the Bible and I guess uh, the ancient Egyptian religions say there's two things you need to watch for is make sure you're paying attention and make sure you're saying truthful things. Mm -hmm. um, and the second you stop doing one of those, your civilization collapses. And that's kind of what happened with um, 
all the Bible stories and like all the ancient civilizations, they stopped paying attention and they let corruption in or they started saying things they knew weren't to be true or started mm. doing things that they shouldn't have been doing. Yep. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Definitely. So I really like the ordinary man. I think that's the most profound thing I've learned in psychology, or at least one of them is that how you behave is what determines your belief systems and everyone thinks it's the opposite. Um, that's so cool about psychology though, because it's always like that. Mm-hmm. It's always the opposite of what you'd expect intuitively. You have to see the bigger picture and see that it's actually the inverse. And it's up for interpretation as well. And, you know, everyone takes certain advice differently depending on where they're at in line. Mm-hmm. Like if you would have told me to meditate five years ago and it's going to fix everything, <laughs> I'd be like, what are you talking about? But, you know, I read The Body Keeps the Score and getting to the science behind why meditation helps and what Ooh, it does to your the body mind, keeps the score, what it does oh to your nervous system and how it can help reset the uh, polyvagal theory is very interesting. I haven't gotten too much into it, but it's just about resetting your nervous system and how meditation and, you know, physical activity can help with that. Cool. I'm really into all, I shouldn't say all the Eastern, but stuff Eastern that has been brought over here. And Yeah, I am too, but I think it's more relatable now that I can understand the science behind it and I know why I'm doing it and how it is actually going to help me. Yep. And that's a huge part of mental health too, is trying to convince people like, yeah, you have, to, I get it. I'm super rational. So I have to be shown mm-hmm. this is going to help you in this scientific way or else I'm like, whatever, hooga booga shit. Yeah, you know? that's, what my, that's what my mom says. You're whatever mm-hmm. mumbo jumbo Woo-woo garbage voodoo yeah <laughs> but it really does make a difference even like tarot cards i don't know mm-hmm. if you're really into it but mm-hmm. um they kind of teach us things that we already know so those even they're they're very very up for debate every card is so general because it forces you to then come up with what it means to you and by doing that it's drawing out a meaning it's yeah. individual to you and it's kind of like you know, the core belief model and stuff, all that. And, you know, it just makes you realize and question things to help you improve your life. Mm -hmm. So yeah, is it, you know, there's some weird thing behind it? Maybe, maybe not. But regardless of what you believe, those tarot cards can be beneficial Mm -hmm. to getting you where you need to go. Yeah. It's just how you interpret it. It is how you interpret it. That's a lot of psychology too. You know, the therapist offers ideas or question something and then you kind of answer your own questions in therapy. Yep. Um, sometimes you just need that other perspective to help you answer it. Mm-hmm. So I think it's all about getting a relatable message to people and everyone has their own way they interpret things. Mm-hmm. So having dif- different perspective could help many different people. Doesn't really mean you're wrong. Doesn't mean you're right. It just may be relatable to one other person this is great. I think that's good, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you have anyth- so. anything else you want to add in? Imagine a million people are listening. What would you say? A million people listening. Oh, I'll give it that. We're throwing that energy out there. Oh, gosh. Really getting life coachy. And, uh, I don't know if you wanted me to go there. Yeah, go ahead. I would just say something along the lines of like, fuck capitalism. Do what you want. <laughs> like, that's where I'm at. I'm very to the point of getting to the main source of the issue of what's going on. Like, yeah, I can control me. And I can make things better, but I just feel like the systems we have in place, they need to be gone through with a fine tooth. It's a tool. So it's a tool. The capitalism is a tool, Yeah. but it's the misuse of it that makes it an issue. Yes. Same with guns, same with medications, yes. quote unquote, pharmaceuticals. And I think that's where the struggle is. How? Because obviously it's great for some people. The guns are great for some people. The school system is great for some people. <laughs> Do you want my woo-woo answer? Yeah. Awaken consciousness. Teach people to be aware of themselves at all times and present and this 
greed never, I just read this in a book the other day, said greed actually doesn't make people happy. What makes people happy is giving back to other people. Yeah. And it's the greed, the, it's, you do, it's, it's the opposite. You think mm-hmm. that you being greedy and having more is going to fill that gap that only giving can fill. And so. I, yeah, I think a lot of it at the end of the day has to do with greed and people being very selfish. And not conscious. You yeah. know, if we just sit down and take a deep breath at any given point during our day, we realize that everything we have, we need in this moment. So all of our fears wash away, all the anxieties, you know, we, there's so much resources in the world. And I read a book called a new awakening by Eckhart. Have you heard of Eckhart Tolle? Mm -mm. He is a, one of the big guys who brought Eastern philosophy and, um, I don't want to say religion, but spirituality over to the West. And the whole book was literally about being present Mm. and reconnecting with your present moment. It's like a big book of mindfulness, but it got really deep about the ego and all that kind of stuff. It was psychological. Um, and it was just a really powerful, the way he worded things about being present and how that is the whole purpose of life. The future doesn't exist yet. The past doesn't exist. So, yeah. And I think it, it, I think it's so simple, but people forget about it. You know, why are we keeping up with the Joneses? Mm -hmm. Well, it's what, what, it's what we're taught always. Yeah. (laughs) And I think it's just really important to reteach people. You don't have to do that. Mm -hmm. You don't have to have the nicest car. You know, I, decided, you know, I'm in a good spot financially with my life. I was, I don't have any debt besides school debt. And so I use any extra money I have. Yeah. I'll put in little investments in my house or whatever, but I'm constantly, Oh, you need food. Let me get you some food. Do you need this? I don't, we don't need all of these things that people are telling us we need. I agree. Have you heard of the Matthew principle? No. All right. So this is my, this is actually my favorite concept in, I guess, the Bible or psychology. So the Matthew principle, literally, it's a quote from the Bible. It's Matthew 25, 29. And it says to those who have everything, all will be given to those who have nothing, all will be taken away. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of, if you want to take it psychologically, it's called the Matthew effect. And it's like, you live with that abundance mindset where you feel you have enough. You're constantly grateful. You're giving back. You're not coming from a place of lack. Like normally people have a lack mindset. I'd say 99% of the world does that. I need, I want, I don't have, I desire. That's a lack mindset. But if you come from the, I already have everything I need, you're buying people things um, just to do it. Mm. You know, you're enjoying your life. You aren't worried or trying to save up for things you don't have. And you watch how you talk and you're saying, I have enough. I'm grateful. Instead of I need, I, I want more comes to you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just think that's important. Throughout. That's my favorite. Yeah. I'm just, I'm lucky. I don't have to question where my next meal is coming from. So if I could give that to somebody else, I would gladly do that instead of buying a new toy or a new video game or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. So. so be grateful, everyone. Thank you for coming on. Thank you I for having it. me. <laughs> there you have it folks that is episode 14 of the drift proof podcast i'm going to be releasing episodes again as they come naturally so it probably won't be next week um but just keep your eye out i will have the instagram going and letting you guys know and in addition if you want to keep seeing my content please go to tiktok at wigged out psychology that is wigged out psychology on tiktok and you'll see all my life coaching psychology um goofy crap with wigs on and we're gonna keep it going also you can go to the instagram and like it check out youtube at andrew cipriano and we're gonna keep the content flowing so thank you guys so much uh have a great day i hope you enjoyed this episode and got a lot out of it.